$52.6 billion. That's how much the Army Corps of Engineers thinks it will take to protect the New York City area from coastal storms. The monster storm has created a mess in New York City. Things are definitely getting worse. The water is now uh, up to my ankles. The world's financial capital paralyzed by Mother Nature. This region that never sleeps was in a coma. We don't want the images that we saw of lower Manhattan in complete darkness, taxi cabs sitting in flooded waters, subway systems turning into waterfalls. We can't operate like that. If we get another event like a Hurricane Sandy, more people will die, more property will get damaged. Doing nothing will leave this area exposed to severe coastal storm risk. As we know from Hurricane Sandy, at some point will cost tens of billions of dollars of future damages and is a severe threat to life safety for some of these low-lying areas. This region is, in a lot of ways, part of the lifeblood of our country. And so investing into it is going to pay back not just the region, uh, but the country overall. The economy of the New York City area alone was over a trillion dollars in 2020. That's over 5% of the whole country's economy. But there are a lot of different ways to protect the over 500 miles of New York City's regional coastline. You could protect it simply by putting a wall up. But for anybody who cares about waterfront activity or access to our ferry system or the beautiful views you get and the economic activity, that's not an okay solution. So will the $50 billion plan proposed from the Army Corps of Engineers work? And is it worth the money? My name is Bryce Wiseman. I'm a project manager at the New York District of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. I've worked there for 33 years. <laughs> I think the, the New York and New Jersey Harbor and Tributaries is probably going to be the pinnacle of the studies that I've worked on. The New York and New Jersey Harbor and Tributaries Study, also known as the HAT Study, was commissioned in 2013. The study looks at how to protect the New York City area from another Hurricane Sandy. And this whole project came about because of Sandy. A lot of people suffered, people died, and that's why this plan is before us today, because we don't want that to happen again. The tentatively selected Plan 3B is what Wisemiller and his colleagues think is the most efficient way to manage coastal storm risk in the region. Since this study began, we had five alternatives that we've been evaluated, and we, we honed in on this one, which we refer to as Alternative 3B, as our tentatively selected plan. And Alternative 3B basically has eight primary features throughout the study area. There's a large surge gate structure on the Arthur Kill, the Kill Van Cole, that protects the inland area of New Jersey and the backside of Staten Island. There's also a shoreline-based measure, a very long one, with the surge gates in South Brooklyn and Queens that encompasses Jamaica Bay. And then there's three smaller surge gate structures on some of the creeks in Brooklyn and Queens, Gowanus, Newtown, and Flushing Creek. And then there's three shoreline-based measures in Jersey City, across the river from where we are now, Lower Manhattan, and East Harlem area. The plan also includes features that mitigate induced flooding and special provisions for low-lying areas. This project will put in completely different structures and completely change uh, the way we relate to the water. You want to be protected um, and not flood during a storm, but still want to live along the coast. This plan says, well, the only way to do that in certain areas is to be behind a very tall wall. Some of the other plans proposed in the study take different approaches. For example, Plan 2, as shown in yellow, would build a huge storm surge gate from New Jersey to Rockaway Point. But there were a lot of flaws to that approach. But by doing nothing inside and kind of relying on the silver bullet solution on the outside, I think left our region more vulnerable. 
But most experts aren't being too particular about the details of the plan. Our biggest concern is going to be that the project moves forward and that the project take place in a way that is consistent with everything New Yorkers expect from New York City, not shutting us off from our waterfront, not leaving certain parts of the city vulnerable, not causing other problems as it uh, protects us from coastal inundation. The Army Corps of Engineers says the designs proposed maintain the current views of the New York City area while prioritizing safety. We are looking forward to trying to, to figure out how better to do these features. These are initial concepts and Hopefully in time we'll be able to develop them better. We don't like change as, as humans, um, but I think the choice is, do you want to live at constant risk of flooding or do you want protection? If you still want to live in that place and live with the protection, you're going to have to find ways to live with the adaptation that comes. All of the suggested plans are designed to protect against 100-year events, meaning storms that are only likely to happen once in 100 years. Alternative 3B is the alternative that has the biggest bang for the buck. At that event, it might generate greater bang for the buck in terms of net benefits if it was designed for the 200-year or 500-year event, or possibly in some areas, maybe a lesser event. So there's a lot of design work. So for that reason, we can't really say exactly how tall these structures ultimately might be. And the only reason we're able to justify the $52 billion per cost on this alternative is because of all the damages that can still exist in this vast study area. Plan 3B will cost over $52 billion and take 14 years to complete. 65% of the funds would come from federal sources and 35 non-federal. It will cost about $350 million annually to maintain. Breakers and seawalls are the most expensive line item, followed by levees and flood walls. Our current estimate for the first cost, the construction of it, is 52.7 billion, of which a third is just in contingency because we have a lot of unknowns related to some of the design features and a lot of details left to be worked out. The overall present value cost is 76.2 billion, and that has a benefit cost ratio we estimate to be about two and a half. So that kind of speaks to just how severe the damages in the coming 50 years, which is our period of analysis, could be. It will become even more expensive to live in New York City. Well, look, there, there is no question that climate change is going to cost us, right? We're going to have to pay to dig ourselves out of the hole that we're in. Experts say that bill will be paid by U.S. taxpayers in one form or another. It will ultimately come from us, uh, but kind of spread out nationally and, and at the state levels. It shouldn't have a direct impact on, on things like, say, property taxes at, at some point. Though, at the same time, it's unclear how these things will affect property taxes, um, whether it's, again, the flood or the wall. These are changes to the places that we live. But we're all in this climate crisis together, and whenever there's a, a disaster or, or a federal emergency, uh, we all use our taxpayer dollars to pay for others' emergencies, whether it's a tornado in the Midwest or kind of the flooding of the Mississippi. We've been paying for each other's disasters throughout. Frankly, uh, traditionally, whenever the federal government does post-disaster kind of recovery programs, it's a one-off, it's a grant program, you have to apply for it, whatever. We assume that, that funding highways and transportation systems is an ongoing investment. You didn't just build the, the interstate system and say, we're done with it, that's the end of that federal program. And I think going forward, we're going to have to realize that 
that kind of predictable formula-based federal funding is actually what states and cities need to do the kind of planning that allows highway investments and other similar investments to take place. Of course, none of this is happening tomorrow. Oh gosh, construction is years and years away. Um, right now, I, we're focused primarily on just getting the study done, which hopefully will get done in 2024, and then it's up to Congress. These are long-term plans. There's no way to build massive civil infrastructure in a hurry. Construction would start in 2030, and all those features we assume to be done in 2044 time period. Some might be quicker, and certainly we would look to try to advance as many as early as possible. It's up to the Army Corps and to the states to ensure that this is done right and done in a way that allows all voices to be heard. No one should be caught by surprise by this plan because it has big implications. You can't keep the ocean at bay and have the coastline look exactly the same. Experts say it's important to keep asking questions. Why is a 20-foot wall the answer here when it's not the answer in a different project being done somewhere else? And there's a lot of plans for 20-foot walls in a, in a lot of the city and, and in places in New Jersey. And I think as we understand the nature of that change, um, I think it's fair to ask, is that the only way to, to be protected? We know that disproportionately, the people who are at risk are lower income people. They're often people of color. It's critical that we engage the communities who have been marginalized, the communities who have been left out of conversations, frankly the communities that are in harm's way because of policies of the past that put those communities there. And we're looking for all the feedback we can get by March 7th, our current comment closing date. The Army Corps, to their credit, has a very good website on this project um, and they have been doing uh, a lot of community meetings on it, a lot of open houses. But I'd also encourage people to engage with their local and state governments on this. The Army Corps can't do this project unless the states agree to it. Well, we certainly hope that this plan can be worked and be supported by the people of New York and the elected officials. But ultimately, all we do is make recommendations and we work on behalf of the non-federal sponsors in trying to advance these plans to the extent that they're supported by the people and the elected officials. So is it time for residents, myself included, to leave the New York City area? It opens up a lot of opportunity for residents to, to rethink and reconsider whether living along the coast is, is worth the risk and worth the adaptation to that risk. New York City has thus far not developed a formal program for climate migration or, or for buyouts, but it is something that, that I think ultimately we are going to need. The challenge is that we have a lot of people who live in danger's way um, in a city where we also have a housing crisis. But we don't know how to do buyouts in dense urban areas, and, and that's something that this gives us the opportunity to contemplate. And, and that also includes, you know, where, where will people go if we want to retain them? How can we make sure that the, uh, the land that's not at risk is, is in the neighborhoods that are not at risk are, are ready to receive what could be climate migrants? Would you rather have a wall or is it time for this community to say, yeah, we're ready, uh, let's, let's be bought out while we can be? So really the way you have to think about it is, well, what would it cost to protect this given area versus what would it cost to relocate those people somewhere else, and you want to think about the financial cost, of course there's also a social cost that you'd have to take into account. And you'd have to think about the fairness of it, because the reality is a purely economic analysis will inevitably lead to displacing more low-income people. 
Either way, the Army Corps of Engineers wants to focus on protecting against another Hurricane Sandy. I'm just hopeful that we're able to get something recommended to Congress coming out of this study that's supported by hopefully the two sponsors as well as many of the communities so that we can try to uh, not have a repeat of Hurricane Sandy again. We have baked into the environmental review process the assumption that doing nothing means things remain the same. That's not accurate in a dynamically changing climate. In the meantime, residents can, however, start to prepare for climate change now with these three simple steps. Well, first of all, I would say it comes from paying attention to the weather. Too many people think that no matter how bad the weather is, it's still okay to go out, it's still okay to drive down the street, it's still okay to order a burrito so that somebody else has to get in their car or on their bike and bring it to you, right? We need to take weather seriously. The second thing is people do need to think about how you weatherproof your home. How do you manage water when it comes in? How do you prevent that flooding from being catastrophic? And so how you do the, the kind of equivalent of defensive driving as you think about managing your property is really, really important. Lastly, we're doing the stopgap measures in the interim so that people aren't fully unprotected. That is around education, that is around the things that people can do for themselves. It may not prevent the problem altogether, but it could mitigate the harm. All New Yorkers and, and frankly all Americans have to realize is there is an element of personal responsibility, especially in the face of a changing climate. You don't get a lot of opportunities to spend $50 billion. So if we're going to spend that much money, let's make sure we get it right.